Today on Blue 58, the Packers finish out their AFC North engagement this weekend with a Christmas Day battle against the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland is reeling from a COVID-19 outbreak, but if things go their way, this might not be a pushover for the Packers. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. It is Christmas Eve, closing in on a Christmas Day matchup with the the Cleveland Browns. Not too often you get a Christmas Day matchup for the Packers. Last time was back in 2011 when they took care of the Chicago Bears on Christmas Day. We're hoping for a similar result this week. Just want to remind you before we get to the Browns, if you're considering donating to our charity fundraiser drive, we are closing in on the end. As of the time this episode goes out, we've got a week left. Get your donations in by December 31st if you want a chance at winning a prize. We are closing in on $2,000 in donations, thanks to all of you generous donors. So thank you so much for doing that. Link uh, to do so is in your show notes. Check it out. Um, it's a great cause. Would really encourage you to do it. Cleveland Browns. They are having a bit of a tough year. But looking at the Browns as a whole, I think we can really easily extend the family metaphor that we went with last week, talking about the Baltimore Ravens. Sure, this is an uncommon opponent, but the Browns and Packers have a pretty deep history together. They're like a blood relative, but one you've only heard about, not really spent a lot of time with, because the Packers have a pretty deep history with the Browns, dating back to Paul Brown and Vince Lombardi, and even beyond that. The first Packers-Browns game was back in 1953. The Browns won 27 to nothing in front of a whopping 22,604 fans at Milwaukee County Stadium. The great Otto Graham threw for 292 yards and ran for two touchdowns that day. Legendary kicker and guard Lou the Toe Groza kicked two field goals. Not so great on the Packers side. Babe Perilli and Tobin wrote when a combined 8 of 27 passing for 66 yards and three interceptions. I don't need to give you more details than that. Of course, you remember that game well. Point is, Packers and Bears have been at this for a while, but they haven't played a ton of games. So this is pretty much the definition of an uncommon opponent. They're uncommon, and they're also not very good, at least not historically. It's understandable to me, I think, if you don't have strong feelings about the Browns, and it's more than just that the Packers don't see them that often. I haven't been on this planet for all that long, but longer than a fair bit of the audience, but the Browns have managed just four double-digit wins in my, win seasons in my lifetime. It's pretty grim to be a Browns fan, and they've got a chance to get to 10 again this year. They are 7-7 seven and seven as they head into week 16 here, but of course they're going to have to win out to do that, and that brings them into conflict, of course, with the Green Bay Packers, who are attempting to lock down the number one seed in the NFC. In one score game so far this year, the Browns are good but not great. Not even really that good, I should say. Four and five in one score games, about what you would expect. You're supposed to be about 500 in one score games. You're not supposed to win way more than 500. You're not supposed to be way under 500 in one score games. The Browns, though, I guess my point is they've played a lot of them. And that includes a 14-16 to loss to the Raiders last week where they had approximately 10 healthy players. So it is only a slight exaggeration, Cleveland got hit hard by uh, by COVID-19. almost called it Cleveland-19. Uh, no, the virus is not quite so bad that they named it after the city of Cleveland. 
Uh, in terms of expected wins and losses, again, it's not like the Browns are really over or underachieving. They're 6.6 and 7.4 by expected win-loss. Point differential puts them at right about a 500 team, just kind of kind of just a middle-of-the-pack team. As far as previews go, I'm switching things up a little bit. I want to do things differently looking at the opposing teams than we've done it in the past. We're going to start, as we always do, by looking at the quarterback. Then we're going to look at the offensive line, then the pass game, then the run game, then somebody we should be aware about on the offensive side, as well as how the Packers are going to stop it. On defense, we'll do something similar. Overall overview of the team, their pass defense, their run defense, who we should know about, then how should the Packers attack. So let's walk through that. The quarterback, assuming he is back from the COVID-19 reserve list, is going to be Baker Mayfield. And that is still an open question here on Thursday evening. The new protocols make it easier to get off the list, but he's still in the process of getting off of that list. So it, it could be another backup quarterback situation this week. As of today, head coach Kevin Stefanski expects Mayfield to test out of the protocol and get back on the field on Sunday. But even if he does, it's going to be basically two weeks without practice uh, for Mayfield heading into this game. It's been a pretty rough season for Mr. Mayfield, the former number one overall pick under then general manager John Dorsey. Dorsey, by the way, now a senior personnel director with the Lions, if you were wondering where he ended up after his time in Cleveland. But rough season for his former top pick. 12 games on the year, 216 of 344, just under 63% completion percentage, 13 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, and he has been sacked 29 times. As we know, sacks are largely a quarterback stat, so I think it's fair to say that there are going to be opportunities there for the Packers this weekend. Overall, I think this is about the worst spot to be in as far as Baker Mayfield, if you are a Browns fan or executive. They're going to come up against some tough decisions with him. There are a lot of likable qualities for Baker Mayfield, I think, but he hasn't really taken off as a quarterback. I don't think that's arguable. His best season still, I think, for my money, is his rookie year, and he really hasn't improved a whole lot. He's been hurt a bunch, sure, but he hasn't really taken huge strides. So what do you do? Do you cut bait and try to get better? Things could be worse. Could be a lot worse than Baker Mayfield. We've seen a few quarterbacks that are worse than Baker Mayfield this year. Do you just sit there and hope it gets better? Try to develop him as much as you can. It might not get better. And he's coming into his fifth year next year, which means that after that, it's going to get real expensive. So then do you just walk that line anyway? Do you just say this is what it costs to have a starting quarterback in the NFL beyond a rookie contract and just accept that he's limited as a quarterback and just try to win with that? If that's the case, you're going to need to be a lot better elsewhere because Baker Mayfield hasn't really been better in any season than he's been this year. And look where it's gotten the Browns, all the way to 7-7. Seven and seven. Tough spot to be in. On the offensive line, you're going to see one of the better units in the league this weekend. The Browns have the fourth best offensive line by run blocking grade. According to Pro Football Focus, they have the ninth best Uh, pass blocking grade. They are fourth in football outsiders adjusted line yards metric. That means that of the, the, the yards their running backs are picking up, 
a lot of them can be attributed to the offensive line, the fourth most in the league, in fact. By ESPN's pass block win rate stat, they are 12th. By run block win rate, they are first. It's a good group up front. And it starts with their two stellar guards, Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller. If you want to talk about the best offensive lineman on the Browns, it's one of those two guys. Batonio is having a little bit better season this year. He's graded at a 93.7 by Pro Football Focus. I wouldn't count on tons of pressure up the middle. It's going to help a lot if the Packers can get Kenny Clark back this weekend. But there are opportunities here as well. As we've talked about, Baker Mayfield can run himself into sacks a lot. He's also not getting too much help from the tackles that have played the most. Blake Hance and Jedrick Willis, both in and out of the lineup a bit this year, both a bit shaky. Those are the two lowest graded linemen that have played basically starters reps this year. It hasn't been hasn't been great up front for the offensive line on the bookends. In terms of run blocking, they're you know basically steamrolling everybody. But there are some weaknesses on the edge. The Browns' passing game is pretty conservative. Wide receiver Jarvis Landry and uh, tight end Austin Hooper are their two biggest threats. They're getting the ball the most, but neither is averaging more than 10.4 yards per catch. Hooper is not a big move tight end. Big-bodied guy, sure, but he's not really getting down the field a whole lot. Donovan Peoples-Jones, though, is getting down the field. He is the Browns' biggest downfield threat, averaging 17.7 yards per catch. We were pretty high on him in 2020. Big height, weight, speed prospect. Ticked a lot of boxes in the draft. I would have been quite happy if the Packers had drafted him. Basically a a combo package of Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Equinemius St. Brown. In the run game, Nick Chubb is having an outstanding year. And we have talked about his success running behind this offensive line, sure, but he's doing a lot with what they're giving him. He has more than 1,000 yards this season on fewer than 200 attempts. To be precise, he has 1,017 yards on 190 carries this year. That's good. He's going to be a load this weekend. If Kenny Clark is less than 100%, that'll be their path to victory, along with throwing to their tight ends. Speaking of tight ends, if you want to know somebody we should be talking about this weekend, in addition to everybody else we've mentioned so far, how about David Njoku? He was the guy who was actually taken in the slot the Packers traded out of back in 2017, the T.J. Watt-Kevin King draft. Dropped down to the top of the second round. Watt goes a couple picks later. You know the story from there. Njoku is the athletic move tight end that complements Hooper. They run a lot of two tight end sets. Uh, You just know that off the top of your head just by looking at their game started this year. Hooper started all 13 games the Browns have played, uh, but... Njoku is right behind him. He started 10. They have two tight ends on the field a lot, which, if you're recalling how things went last week, could be cause for a little bit of concern. Concern. The Packers have had some struggles against good tight end teams, and the Browns have a couple pretty solid tight ends. So how do the Packers stop the Browns? I think the Packers might have to go a little bit heavier this week. More traditional 3-4 base type stuff, so you're looking at three down linemen, which the Packers do a lot, but probably two inside linebackers behind them. That is going to prevent the Packers from going into some of their more defensive back-heavy looks, but I think that might actually be okay against the Browns. They don't have a ton of confidence in their ability to attack deep down the field. They've got at least one guy who can do it, sure, but I'd be more focused on stopping those tight ends and stopping Mr. Chubb than... um, worrying about the deep ball passing. 
on defense, the Browns are right in the middle of the pack. They are 15th by DVOA, 23rd against the pass, 16th against the run. They are 13th in scoring. They are 5th in yards. They are 16th in takeaways. As you look at the totality of their defense, you see a lot of numbers in that sort of low teens uh, on the high end to low 20s. So somewhere between 13th and 23rd in a lot of areas. Their pass defense, by raw yardage, it is good. They haven't allowed a 300-yard passer since week five. It's, of course, a lot easier to do that when you have elite pass rusher Miles Garrett, who may be out this week. We'll talk about the injuries they're facing up front here in a second. On the ground, the Browns are doing pretty well as well. They're allowing just 4.1 yards per attempt uh, per carry. Uh, That is eighth best in the league, but they've they've been getting run on lately. Last time, last week was the first time since the first week of November that they held a team under 100 yards rushing. Weeks 10 through 14, there's a bye week in there, so that's why I'm listing, you know, talking about five weeks but only four games here. Weeks 10 through 14, 184 yards on the ground, 168, 148, 118. Teams are moving the ball on the ground against the Browns lately. It happens. The Browns have not been good in those games. Teams run more when they're winning, sure, but that shows that if you get up on the Browns, you can continue to move the ball on the ground. I'd like to point out um, one player for you to watch. Uh, Keep an eye on linebacker Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, another popular mock draft target for the Packers. We've talked about those the last couple weeks when we've done previews. We faced a lot of guys that would have been popular Packers picks over the last couple weeks. Big question for... um, this young man was whether or not a six foot two, two hundred and twenty pound linebacker could hold up in the NFL. So far, the answer is probably yes. He's missed a couple games, but he's still an elite athlete, and he's stuff in the stat sheet basically across the board. Sixty one tackles, four passes to defense, two fumbles forced, sack and a half, three tackles for loss. Right there with Devondre Campbell and pretty much all of those metrics. The ceiling probably higher for Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. Makes you wonder, given the success of Devondre Campbell, and this is something I want to look at in a future episode, whether or not the Packers should be changing their tune on what they invest at inside linebacker. They got Campbell, solid player. Should they be looking at adding you know, more talent at inside linebacker if they can in the future? Because actually, as we talked about last week, talking about the Ravens, there have been you know big test athletes at linebacker when the Packers have been picking the past couple of years, they've just passed on them. Now, Jordan Love, jury obviously still out, uh, but Arusu Koromoa looks like a really good player. However, the Packers also got a really good player, it seems, in the draft this year, uh, selecting uh, Eric Stokes at the end of the first round. So your mileage may vary. I think it's worth mentioning. I think it's worth uh, following up on. But uh, Maybe the Packers want to look at that in that direction a little bit more. Just a thought. We look at production ratio in ball hawks uh, in the preview every week. It's tough this week looking at production ratio. Miles Garrett is having an outstanding year in this metric. 2.21 is his production ratio on the year because he's got 15 sacks and and 16 tackles for loss. But he is questionable with a groin injury. Jadavion Clowney, not too far behind him. Five sacks, nine tackles for loss in 12 games. That's a production ratio of 1.17. He, however, is on the COVID-19 reserve list as of right now. 
Malik McDowell, an interior lineman, comes up next with a .77 production ratio. Not too bad. Cornerback Troy Hill, somehow the next guy on the list. Uh, in 12 games, he's got two sacks and nine tackles for lost. Uh, Takaris McKinley, wraps, uh, McKinley excuse me, wraps, uh, rounds out the top five. He's been having a pretty good season, or had been having a pretty good season, much better than with his original team, the Atlanta Falcons. However, he ruptured his Achilles recently, knocking him out for the rest of the year. In terms of ball hawks, the leader, of course, is Miles Garrett with 19, but Greedy Williams, the cornerback, next up with 12. MJ Stewart, a safety, uh, is up there as well with uh, 19 on the year, so I actually had him out of the or- out of order. Uh, Denzel Ward, the corner, up next with 11.5. John Johnson, the safety, has 9.5. Then you've got Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa with 7.5. The Browns are making plays on the ball. Rewinding to 2017, you will find the last time the Packers and Browns played. Another wild game in the Brett Hundley era. Uh, Opening the scoring with a 30-yard touchdown pass to a wide-open Jamal Williams in the front right corner of the end zone. Josh Gordon, back from suspension, evens the scoring with an 18-yard catch from Deshaun Kaiser, who would become a member of the Green Bay Packers the next week. Cleveland goes up on another touchdown from Deshaun Kaiser, and then uh, extend their lead to 21-7 with another touchdown pass from Deshaun Kaiser. But back come the Brown, or back come the Packers. Jamal Williams scores. Devontae Adams scores a one-yard touchdown from Brett Hundley with uh, just 17 seconds left in regulation. After a big punt return by Trevor Davis, uh, gets the Packers into scoring position, and then of course the Packers uh, get the ball in overtime. Uh, they maneuver the ball down the field. Then Devontae Adams has a spectacular catch and run, scores a touchdown, and just runs directly out of the stadium. Overall, a pretty embarrassing game for the Green Bay Packers. Had themselves on the ropes uh, at the hands of the Cleveland Browns, but still managed to pull out a, uh, a victory down the stretch, I guess kind of despite their best efforts. This week, though, the Packers really should have no such problems with the Browns if they play well. If the Packers play the game that they are capable of playing, they should be able to put the Browns away. They should be able to get the ball down the field. They should be able to take advantage of matchups in the secondary. They should be able to win. But... I think there are scenarios that you can envision pretty easily where the Browns make it pretty tough on them. What do we know about what it takes to beat the Packers' defense? What do you have to do? Well, you've got to run the ball well, and you've got to find opportunities for mismatches with your tight ends. Well, the Browns run the ball as well as anybody, and they've got tight ends that have shown that they can be productive in the passing game. Okay, looks like the Browns can theoretically at least move the ball against the Packers. What about when they're on defense? If we know anything about where the Packers are vulnerable, it's probably a tackle right now. You've got Yash Nyman on one side and Dennis Kelly on the other. In theory, the Browns should be able to take advantage there if Miles Garrett is healthy. Even if nobody other than Garrett is healthy for the Browns, that is enough. He could be enough to swing this game by himself. Even if he doesn't affect Rodgers directly, the Packers will have to spend so much of their time accounting for him up front that I don't know if they can really 
free anything up anywhere else. That's how dangerous he is as a pass rusher this year. I think there are scenarios where you can envision the Browns just pounding away with the, with the run, negotiating the ball down the field a little bit at a time, and keeping the game close enough that a guy like Garrett only needs a couple of opportunities to really swing the game the Browns' direction. I do think the Packers will win, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Browns could make it difficult on them for a while. The polls say that you feel pretty confident about a Packers win. I too feel confident. I just think that there are scenarios where the Browns could win. They could make it difficult on the Packers. 91.5% of voters this week say the Packers are going to win. That is actually down a little bit. I don't blame you. These are kind of weird circumstances the Packers are playing in, and the Browns, to be honest. They played Monday night. They're playing again Saturday. Overall trends, though, the Packers are back up after a couple of down weeks. Everything outside of the defense is trending up a little bit. Matt LaFleur up to 100% approval rating again. Even the special teams jumped all the way up from 0 to 1.7% approve. Hey, not too bad. The defense, though, is cooling a little bit, down to 58 58.6% approval rating. Joe Barry down to 745 It wasn't too long ago that he was up in the upper 90s, even at 100%. Not too far in the past. Again, I think that's pretty understandable. The defense has done little to instill confidence over the last couple of weeks. And given that the Browns, I think, actually match up fairly fairly well with the Packers, I would be completely I would completely understand if you felt a little bit uncertain heading into this game. I do think the Packers are going to win. I think we're all going to get a great Christmas present on Saturday. And I think having the Packers just that much closer to another or to the the number one seed in the NFC playoffs uh, just should make you feel all that much more happy about the Packers win. But they got to go out and do it, and uh, we'll see what they can do coming up Christmas Day at Lambeau Field. Again, as we wrap it up today, another reminder, check out the charity campaign. Link is in your show notes. Otherwise, check out thepowersweep.com. You should be able to figure it out from there. Get us over $2,000. We're closing in. We're supporting a couple really nice causes here. I would appreciate your support, and I'd be happy to enter you into our prize drawing if you would uh, do us the honor of donating any amount. Any amount. Doesn't matter what you donate. Uh, Just participate. We want to do something good for somebody else this time of year, and I would appreciate anybody who takes the time to do just that. That is all I've got for you on this episode. Appreciate you listening in. We will hope you have a great Christmas weekend. I hope you all have a a wonderful holiday season. Get to spend some time with family if that's what you want to do. If you just want to stay at home, spend some time with yourself, uh, relax, watch the Packers alone, that's great too. That was one of my favorite things to do uh, back in the ever-increasingly distant past. Uh, Just watching a game by yourself, sometimes that's a really great time too. Uh, But whatever you do, Whatever you choose or however you choose to celebrate or not celebrate this weekend, I hope you have a great time. I hope you get to to rest and relax, and I hope you get to enjoy a Packers win this weekend. And I hope that you will continue to listen to Blue 58 and join this ongoing conversation you and I and everybody else are having about the Green Bay Packers. Because if you get involved and a bunch of other people get involved, that makes all of us smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.